This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Available every day during the Cricket World Cup. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Nathan's going up for the appeal and he's done it. The final wicket falls for India. Pure elation for New Zealand. And a dismal day for India, who came to this tournament with all sorts of hopes. Fireworks go off up above us here in the commentary box. India, disconsolate. New Zealand, elation. Well, what a result. Against all the odds, New Zealand will play in their second consecutive World Cup final at Lords on Sunday after that thrilling victory against India at Old Trafford today. We'll hear from Virat Kohli, Kane Williamson, as well as a very happy Jeremy Coney on just what happened, but who will they play in the final? It's a longer podcast today as there's so much to get in as England prepare to play Australia. We'll hear from Owen Morgan on why criticism from Kevin Peterson is like criticism from Geoffrey Boycott. And I've also been speaking to the former Australian captain Steve Waugh, a man I can't imagine spending a lot of time walking around cricket fields barefoot. Available every day during the Cricket World Cup. This is the TMS podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Well, we're 24 hours away from England's biggest one-day international match for a generation. The first time they've been in a World Cup semi-final since 1992. And with me here at Edgebasson, Vic Marks, who played in a World Cup semi-final in 1983. And Mel Farrell from ESPN Crick Info 1983. Victor, remind us well, of the match. Well, all I can say is I hope it's a more uplifting game for English supporters than yes, that match at Old Trafford against India, which we lost, mm. having scored something like 213 out of the last ball of the 60th over. Yes. So, and they got them with two or three overs to spare. So it wasn't, it was, a thriller. It wasn't really a thriller. It was very slow going on a, on a sort of slowish pitch. And... Um, England did not threaten to progress to the final, having played really well throughout. Did it feel immense? Well, it it probably didn't feel as immense as this game, if we're honest. The World Cup in those days was a much swifter, yeah. much more relaxed affair, and um, it didn't have the same kudos as the World Cup does now. Yeah. Every, t- I mean, if you'd offered someone in 1983, do you want the Ashes or the World Cup? They'd say, oh, Ashes, of course. Whereas I think most, even English people now, if you offer them World Cup or Ashes, they'll say, World Cup, thanks. Which is interesting, Mel, because do you feel that the Aussies are a bit more relaxed about this, this game than, than England are, in fact? Yes, I think Australia in general is probably more relaxed in that I just think this means a lot more to England, partly because they haven't been beyond this stage in a World Cup. And everyone talks about, which I kind of think is nonsense, this whole idea of it's in Australia's DNA, blah, 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 all of that. I think that's kind of nonsense. That's gone down to professionalism in the past and and the investment in it and having really great players, all those kinds of things, I think, have Mm. really helped Australia in the past. But as often happens, Australia's funny with cricket. Everyone's a cricket fan in the summer when it's on in front of them in Australia. When it's on in other countries, a a lot of casual Australian cricket fans don't pay as much attention. And they're so used to success that I think it makes often Australian sporting fans complacent about success. A bit blasé about it, Pat. A bit blasé. It's like if they don't win it, 
if they lose if they lose this game and they don't win, I think people go, oh well, you know, they they lost. Mm. Whereas I, I feel if that happens to England, it will be seen as like, ah, oh, you know, this was our best opportunity. Oh, for sure. Well, that may be true. Although I feel it's different. I haven't been to Australia for a, for a while. But given the tumultuous 12 months they've had, yes. yeah. if that were capped suddenly by winning the World Cup, which, you know, six months ago you thought, well, the best they can do is sort of survive without getting slated everywhere they go. So I expect I even in Australia, there must be a... Oh, there is, winning, yeah. There might be a modicum of interest uh, in what's I'm, going I know, on. And, and, and I don't and there's quite a there's few, not. there's a few more Aussie journalists over than sometimes too, I yeah. fancy. You know, I, I, I sense it building. I don't, I don't mean to suggest that they don't care. I just think that there's a difference between yeah. the level of what it means. Well, I agree with that. With England and yeah. Australia. And the other, thing, the other point I would make about 1999... And that epic here at Edgbaston semi-final, the best game I've ever seen, I think, in one-day cricket, almost between South Africa and Australia. And I always thought that one of the reasons Australia won that, or tied it, which is all they had to do, was that they could cope with the possibility of losing in a way that the South Africans couldn't. Mm. Mm. And there's a sort of parallel here. Interesting. Let's, we'll talk about Australia in a minute. Let's hear, first of all, from a man who I know is not the least bit blase. I've been interviewing all the way through this, and uh, it's fascinating to watch, actually, the, the progress of, of England up and down and then up again, you have to say. So here's the captain, uh, Owen Morgan, talking to me earlier. The TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Owen, I mean... It's interesting, you've had a bit of time off and now suddenly switching back into the big one now. We have, and I think needed time off. Uh, the group stages took a lot out of us. Um, I think that was more due to sort of the roller coaster of emotions and performance that we had uh, throughout those nine games. Uh, I think, you know, looking back on it, it actually hasn't worked out badly at all. The last two games we played against two of the other semi finalists who are finishing off their game today. Um, and we managed to produce something close to probably our best performance in the World Cup so far. So that's extremely encouraging. We're looking to, to build on that hopefully tomorrow um, and, and, and keep the confidence and momentum going. Yeah. Have you managed to put this encounter to the back of your mind at all? Or is, is, is it just always just ticking away there, or that little sort of tingle in the stomach, you know? No, I think when you get to the sort of the latter stages of a World Cup, I think you're, you're probably more nervous playing against a side that you don't come up against very often. I think the fact that we've played against Australia on numerous occasions, particularly over the last two, two and a half years or so, I think both sides know each other inside out. And I think, again, like Lords, hopefully two sides perform and it's a, a very good game of cricket, which you know should be produced for any semi-final of a World Cup. Yeah. They did beat you there. Now, does that, does that matter at all? I think looking back on that, I think uh, there was potentially a little bit of a, a hangover from the Sri Lanka game that we took to Lords. Uh, we came here and, and played against India and, and looked a different team and then went on to Durham to, to play New Zealand and again looked a, a better team for it. So uh, I don't think we can completely ignore it. We do have to learn a little bit about Australia, uh, but perhaps a, li- a different makeup, playing two left armers as opposed to just one. Um, but certainly, given that it was three games ago now, we look a different team. Yeah. I saw them lose to South Africa, and actually at the end, they looked pretty despondent, actually. They really wanted to kick that top spot and to get New Zealand. And, and I remember saying at the time, I wonder if England can see this and see the players, because they really were quite slumped shoulders and so on. I guess they've had time to pick themselves up from that, but you know, they, they did take a bit of a hit there. Yeah, losing any game of cricket throughout the tournament obviously sets you back. Um, certainly we were uh, victims of that, um, particularly the Sri Lanka game, like I mentioned. Um, it, it really did set us back. But... 
you know, as regards air progress throughout the tournament, it, it probably couldn't have gone any better since the Lords game against Australia, playing against two extremely strong teams and, you know, semi-finalists as well. I think going into tomorrow's game, we can be, you know, pretty proud of what we've done and, and look to move that progression forward even more. Yeah. Let's talk about Mitchell Stark, shall we? Because that's obviously been been aired a bit. He hit you badly a few years ago, and there was a comment or two from you know where, uh, from Lords. Do you find him an awkward proposition? I mean, he's a fine bowler. Oh, he's a very good bowler, yeah. uh, and they have quite a few fine bowlers. Uh, Paddy Cummins is is another one, and obviously Jason Berendorf is the other who will play. Um, but we've never singled out anybody as a you know, potential problem or somebody that we can target. Everybody has a, a day off at some stage. Um, he obviously had a, a good day at Lords, and, and it was obviously Jason Berendorf's day taking five for in the game. But going into any game, any stage of your international cricket, you're going to be challenged at different stages throughout your career. I certainly think possibly four years ago I was challenged in that area. Um, certainly since then I've been ch- challenged in different areas and over the last two years I've managed to counter them. Yeah. I can only imagine how cross you were at being accused of being scared. <laughs> when Kevin Peterson comes out with a comment, it's, it's actually very similar to comments that I address with Jeffrey Boycott. They're not ones that are considered, uh, you know, good for a team environment and, and don't take the best interests of the team or the player at heart. You know, guys are trying their heart out to do well for their country, trying to learn, trying to get better. And, you know, we have critics being critics, and they need to do that. That's their job, so let them be. All this hard work, all this preparation and everything else, all the talk, suddenly it's, it's here. Yeah, we're, we're delighted to be here. Uh, for a stage throughout the group stages, it, it looked in question, but I don't think we could be better prepared. We're, we're extremely excited and, and looking forward to it. Well, no prize for guessing. I think one of those interesting clips <laughs> is that reference to Mitchell Stark and, and of course, to Kevin Peterson and the Jeffrey Boycott on the comment that KP yep. made about Morgan being scared. It's a big, it's a big call to, a, to, to say that of an international batsman. Yeah, it is a huge call. And that you can say, there are things you can say and things you can't say. You can say that Morgan looked technically ill-prepared to cope with Stark, uh, technically unsuited against the short yes, ball. A bit late on it. We can all, yeah, a bit late on it, not out of... You can say all that, and I don't suppose Morgan would blush or disagree, but call someone scared and you are in completely different territory. Yes. And that would have stung, but Morgan being Morgan won't show too much. I mean, he showed a little bit, but that will have stung, uh, and... He'll be very keen to find a way to get some runs. I thought he's going to get a lot of short stuff, though, isn't he? I mean, he will. They are going he to will. And yeah. it depends. But there's good short stuff and there's bad short stuff. Uh, Stark actually uses the short ball very well in that he varies his length a lot. If he gets that new ball, he will be looking to find swing to start with. But obviously, yeah. when Morgan comes in, he at some point will be peppered. And will he take the, you know? discreet course and let it sail by or will he go for it top edge and who knows we'll wait and see but it's the use of scared yes. or cowardice or anything Quite like that that really that, goes yeah look 
Owen, we talked a lot about things that people have said about his career and he's been criticised a lot. So much, you know, him being the Irishman who becomes the England captain, his decision not to go to Bangladesh when England toured here. I mean, he has copped. I remember there were former captains who said, said that he wouldn't be able to look his players in the eye at the time and one suggested that he would not be captaining England in this mm. World Cup. So that, and it, I, when I asked him about it, he said to me, he sort of shrugged and said, I don't know how to care what other people think of hmm. me. He's he's very good with that. And I, even though some things might sting sometimes, I think he genuinely has an ability to shrug an awful lot of stuff off and be able to focus on the people who he really cares what they think. And at the moment, I think that's his teammates. Yeah. The first 10 overs will be critical for both sides because the power of Australia has been in their opening partnership. David Warner to the fore, Aaron Finch, terrific. If you can get them out, you're right in business because the rest are untrusted at the moment and the personnel seems to be changing rapidly. But if you don't get them out, you're in trouble and the same applies when you bowl at England. Well, the the funny thing about that was it was in that game at Lords. uh that Jason Berendorf finally got his real opportunity. And he was the one. Yeah, Yeah. he bowled really well. He took five wickets. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh, why didn't, you know, why weren't they playing him before? It was the first time since the 2015 World Cup that Australia had opened with two left armers. Um, Before that, it was Mitchell Johnson and Mitchell Stark. Mm. So that's definitely been a talking point around and leading up to that, that they did so well with those two left armers here. And without a doubt, but... It is. I know what you say about those those two up up the top and the front foot and everything, but it does seem like such a different combination when you see Johnny Bairstow with Jason Roy, oh, yes. as opposed to Johnny Bairstow with James Vince. Correct. Yeah, no, that's absolutely. I mean, and Roy's return has lifted it. And we're thinking. I mean, England team wise, same team. I can't see Moeen playing tomorrow. Can no. You? Although when I listen to Morgan, I don't know whether. He was being cunning or not, but he said, we're going to look at this pitch. It depends how much grass they take off. Uh, And if they take a bit more grass off, then we'll have to consider a second spinner. Mm. Bigger Uh, boundaries today, by the way. They are bigger. So it'll it'll be England, probably the same team, but with just the possibility that Moeen could come in if they think, and I don't disagree with it, if conditions dictate, they think it'll turn a bit, they'll, they'll slip one in. Well, I've been talking to one of the greatest ever Australian captains, Steve Waugh, who's now acting as a mentor for this Australian team. From BBC Radio 5 Live, this is the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Oh, look, as a cricketer, that's what you want. You want to play in the big matches in Australia versus England, semi-final of a World Cup. Um, doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. What's interesting, and Jim Maxwell said this earlier, is he, he gets the feeling that because, and I'm not going to say this in a sledging sort of a mm. way, because it's been so long since Australia won the Ashes here, Maybe the Australian, don't put your eyes up like that. Maybe the Australian focus is a bit more on the Ashes, maybe, than on the World Cup, whereas England seem to be very focused on the World Cup. Do you, do you think that's a fair comment? Look, I think they'd like both. Um, if you had a choice, I'd say Justin Lane would, would maybe want the Ashes over the World Cup slightly, but having said that, he would love to win the World Cup and all the Australian players w- would do as well. So, no, I think um, yeah, the focus for Australia is to, is to win this tournament and to go on and win the Ashes, and uh, they're in a position where they can tick the first one off hopefully yeah and do you think momentum going forward from from this could go into the ashes uh, would certainly help I mean I don't think it's going to be crucial because they're totally different you know, you know, games one day cricket and test match cricket um, but it's, it doesn't hurt if you've won the World Cup the confidence in the camp is nice everyone's happy and content 
having a great time. Uh, they're on tour, and it's a long tour for a lot of the guys. I mean, so it is important to keep winning on long tours. So, if, um, yeah, that would be important to the Australian side to, to do well here. Yeah. I was watching a game here against South Africa, actually. David Warner played well. I mean, you know, they're sort of, they're sort of mm. <sighs> OK, we, 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 we bar him grudgingly, I suppose, mm. obviously. But, I mean, someone like him is such, such a key player for he is, yeah, and he's, um, you know, he's he's a quality player. He scores runs regularly. It's, um, you know, he, I can't remember the last time that he's failed consistently. So, and he just seems to even the last during this World Cup knows his game a little bit better now. He's uh, he's not flushed at the top of the order. He um, he takes his time, but he knows he can hit forwards. He knows he can accelerate and score a runner ball later on. So he's taking his time building a platform together with Finch. Um, Smith's a guy that's, that's interesting, and uh, he's a big match player. When whenever he writes Steve Smith off. You can guarantee he's going to score runs, and a lot of people are saying he's out of form, and maybe he's not having the World Cup he should have. I think he will be the batsman that uh, for Australia will need to stand up in the semi-final if they're going to win. Yeah, inevitably, with, you know, people are focusing on those two, and they are very different characters, aren't they? And how they're coping with—I know you've only just arrived, but you know, there's a pretty resounding boo when they go out to bat and when they come back again, and so on. Mm. Do you think Steve Smith, because of the different character, will find that more difficult to deal with than Warner? Oh, I think so. I said that a couple of months ago that uh, Warner would uh, be water for Ducks back. You know, he'd probably encourage him to, to play more. Um, and it's a different um, dynamic too. If you're a former captain, that you know, it's a, it's a lot to have that captaincy taken away from you. I know as a leader, it's the highest honour in the game to lead your country, and to have that taken away, it does take something from you. It, um, you know, you feel as if um, you're probably not as um, I don't know what the word is, but it's, um, you lose your mojo a bit. So it's going to take him a while to feel comfortable playing international cricket again, not as a captain, just as a player. Um, so I think we've got to give him a little bit more leeway than Dave Warner to, to work his way back, and um, it probably is going to be tougher. Yeah. This role that you have now, tell, tell me about that, Steve, Men- mentoring and, and advice, I guess, and experience for the old, the old fella? Yeah, it's something new. Uh, Justin Lang has uh, been big on the fact that he wants some ex-players involved around the team, and I've... Um, I've actually mentored a lot of players over the years, uh, not in a formal role, but I've talked to players since I retired 15 years ago. And I did it with the Australian Olympic team in uh, Beijing and London. So mentoring to me is about observing people, um, helping out when you can. I've seen all the, the good and bad things that can happen in cricket. Um, and it's really giving the guys a roadmap to success that I've, I've learned over my experience of playing 20 years in, in the Australian side. Um, and, and really giving them some, uh, I guess, advice when they need it, just observing, um, seeing things from a difference and maybe seeing things from a different perspective. Because um, a lot of times you're on tour together a lot, um, you tend to see this, things the same way. So for me coming in, it's a fresh set of eyes. Yeah. And will you be sort of on, in, in daily contact with the team? I mean, you got to watch everything that they do. Yeah, I'll be with the team. I'll be part of the squad for the first, uh, first six weeks of the tour. So there's um, the Australia versus Australia A match down at Southampton, then the first test Edge Baston. Then there's a county match at Worcester and the second test at Lord. So, um, you know, if, after six weeks, if, uh, if we're winning, I'll, I'll claim all the, uh, the kudos. <laughs> if we're losing, I'll pretend I wasn't there. <laughs> Let's finish with the thought about England and the, and, and the one-day cricket particularly. I mean, have you, have you watched much of the way that they've been playing over the last couple of years? Yeah, I have, and I'm not surprised. I mean, Trevor Bayliss is a good mate of mine. He's a nice and relaxed fellow that uh, he just lets, he lets people play their way. And uh, if you've got the talent, um, which England have in their batting, Go out and try and uh, go from ball one, which they have. Um, they bat a long way down. Um, in fact, they're five, six, seven, and eight sometimes are probably as good a batsman as the top three or four. So why not play that way? I think if you do that, and t- you're pretty much guaranteed two or three guys are going to perform each time, you're going to get a big score. So that's the method they've used. They're comfortable with it. The captain um, is a guy that um, really seems to back himself and backs the team, and he embraces the pressure tag, which is a little bit different to previous England sides who seem to have... Um, 
you know, have taken that with a bit of a burden, but this time they see uh, pressure as a privilege, and that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, and it's an environment in which it seems that you, know, if you play a bad shot and get out, actually you, you, you're not going to be on the naughty chair, and, and, and it's, yeah. it's, it's forgiving of those sort of things, which is easier said than done, actually, isn't it? That's right, but that's important. If you're going to play that style and that's your, um, your method of playing, then you can't just go the other way and say, oh, well, that was a silly shot. Why did you play that shot? So it's important if you're going to go 100% that way, then uh, there's no ramifications if you play a bad shot because that's going to happen. If you're taking, you're playing high-risk cricket, sometimes it's not going to come off. I've got to ask you, who are you backing to win it? Well, of course, there's only one obvious answer. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it really is anyone's uh, World Cup. I look at the four semi-finals, they're very good sides. Even today, the match is evenly balanced, and uh, it just might take... I think Australia versus England, the match is going to be won by the best fielding side. And maybe the best fielding side is going to win this World Cup because it might come down to that individual brilliance of a catch or a, or a run out at the crucial time. A mentor, a proper appointed mentor, Mel. That's a, bit, that's a, bit a strange position, isn't it? Yeah, is it really? I don't know. They seem to have a lot of people around the teams these days, and I think Steve Waugh is a fairly revered figure some of the I mean some of the players you hear them talk about Ricky Ponting I mean he's the one who's been around that team that Steve Waugh might have been that little era too far in the yes. past I wouldn't like to say he's too old because you know that's he's been missing not, a while I mean he's not he, been involved at all yeah has he? Where, whereas I mean I watched Ricky Ponting feeding the bowling machine for Marcus Stoinis it must have been for about 45 minutes in the indoor nets um, at Trent Bridge and the way like the way he was with him was absolutely amazing. Just patient, yeah. giving him so much attention. I think he's, you know, given a hell of a lot. I think he's made a huge difference to this Australian team. So Steve Waugh, no doubt, will have would a Would he approve of the say. barefoot walkabout, do you think? So yeah. that's a Steve Waugh, sort of a thing. very much that Justin Langer. That thing, is isn't it? so strange... not a Steve Waugh thing no. to do. It's quite a strange Maybe... thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, well, look, it's funny because, you know, he played it down. When he was talking to the media, he was like, nah, nah, we just, you know, Haydos and I used to go for, do it before a test match because it just feels nice. Whereas <laughs> others in the team are like, well, you know, you know, He's, he's pretty spiritual and zen. <laughs> I can't imagine quite a few, but, you know. Jeff Thompson, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, a few tacks out there, really. But, uh, elite psychology, I think. Oh, dear. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But, of course, the new David Warner would almost certainly do it, whereas the old one might not. And, but what a tournament he's having. I watched him play that 100 yacht against Africa the other day. It was a terrific innings. It? It's amazing and fascinating to watch him throughout this tournament because... He has seemed, especially early on, a different player. He hasn't been dominating bowling attacks in the same way that he did before he had the break. And But he's he's found different ways of just working through out in the middle, whatever it is he's going through and staying there, working past it. And, you know, obviously scoring, he scored two, two, his two lowest 50s, I think, in his career. Um, and he's found a way to kind of get through that. And I just think he's got better and better, whatever it is he's worked through. He's found a way to, to be out in the middle and kind of think and feel his way through things, I think might be the best way yeah. to describe yeah. it. He, he, he does seem to have coped with things better than Smith. I mean, they are very different characters, aren't they? But Warner does seem to have kind of brushed things off. And, he, and I mean, yeah, he's presenting a different image, certainly while he's playing. But Smith still looks the jittery, fidgety, you know, that, that he always has been to an extent. But, but, it's, but it's Warner who really seems to have shrugged all this yeah, stuff Smith's off. Yeah, looked a bit hyped up out there. Yeah. Even when he's defending, there's some exaggerated movements. And Warner, he did go slowly, but a lot of people have sussed out that in this particular World Cup, slightly contrary to expectation, for that first 10 overs, the impetus is actually 
increasingly just keep those wickets in hand if yes. you can, rather than feel the absolute necessity to blast, yeah. which is how people have been playing. And 320 is a good score rather than 360, yeah, yeah. 370. Yeah. So, and, and particularly when the pace bowlers have, have had some influence, if you can get through the first spells of Cummins and Stark without losing a wicket, although Berendorf might take the new mm. ball now, I should think, um, then you are quids in because the support bowlers don't have the same potency and, and you've feel that's the way to go against India, you know, get through Bumrah and whoever, Shami or Kumar, and you're you're okay. So Warner's been, maybe he's been ahead of the game, maybe mm. he's, uh, but he's scored his runs and he's got a bit more fluent as time has gone by and him and Finch have been a formidable pairing. And just a quick one, for, for, for Hanscom to come in straight into a World Cup semi-final, that's a, that's a big shout, isn't it? A heck of a thing to come in and make yeah. your World Cup debut in a semi-final yeah. at Edgebaston against England. I mean, it's the change that's been forced upon them. They've had a couple of injuries. That, uh, Justin Langer paid tribute to Pat Howard, the former uh, high-performance manager, because they have had the Australia A over here in this time. So if nothing else, Pete Hanscom and Matthew Wade, who's come into the squad, and yep. there's been various speculations about him and what he may or may not do. But if nothing else, they're coming into the squad having played in England in English conditions, sort of match hardened. So that's a, probably as good as you can hope for. But that, it's a heck of a thing to come in. You're not part of the squad no. and all of a sudden you're in a World yeah. Cup semi-final. Well, yeah, but again, any true Aussie will think this is, as they say, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> because, oh, you know, what great, an opportunity. Mate. You don't yeah. have to go <laughs> trodding around all the country at the Chesterfield Street to play game. Just zoom in to the semi-final. That's the that way to do, do it. Right, last one then. Who's going to win tomorrow? <laughs> Victor? Uh, well, I, I'm trying to be uh, England. I was going to say, I was going to try to be objective, but I have a good feeling about England, actually. Okay. Uh, bec- partly because they have they overcame quite a serious setback yes. with, in those two and they losses. Managed to do it. Yep. They, but, I mean, because it's a game of cricket and a proper one, in fantastically tense, wonderful, delicious circumstances. There are no certainties here, but I go England. Okay. I'm really nervous, just generally nervous. Just nervous, because I just expect it to yeah, be... Yeah, but we're talking about this game. <laughs> <laughs> but just, I, I think it's going to be an absolute cracker. I really think nothing's going to be left um, out out there They're at all. I feel the same way. I feel that... Um, England looks – I actually just asked Owen about this. It was almost like when you see a, a, a batsman being dropped and then playing with more freedom afterwards for the rest of their innings. I sort of feel like that's England's tournament. They, it was like they got they got given a, a a bit of a scare and now they just look like their old selves. But I'd love to see them go to the final, to be honest, saying this is an Australian and see it on free-to-air as well. All right. But, Mel, what about this? What is Aaron Finch – going to do today. It's an interesting... I mean, what do you do the, the, the day before a World Cup semi-final? This is what the Australian captain's going to do. I think I'm off to watch a movie with the wife this afternoon, uh, the Queen's Corgi coming out today, so I'll be off to see that this afternoon. And um, What's wrong with that? The Queen's Corgis... Well, there's a review that I've seen here. Just went to this movie today, but the first 10 minutes didn't catch me. The storyline sucked. Jokes for the adults are bad. My son wanted to sleep because he got bored. Never had this with a movie in a long time. Two stars out of ten. Mm, I, I Is can, that what you see before a World Cup semi-final? I can guarantee you I would put my house, my life, on the fact that Owen Morgan would not go and see that <laughs> I think he's, he's going to go see KP. But yes, Victor, I, are you going to go well, see the Queen's Corgis? 
Oh, I won't have time to see it. I, I'm not very familiar with the film. It doesn't sound as sort of... I'm not sure it'll get a great review in The Guardian, that one. I don't know. Fair enough. Well, look, it's nearly time. Whatever you're doing, our coverage of the match begins at 9.30. Live coverage from here. You can listen on 5 Live Sports Extra, Radio 4 Longwave, or via the BBC Sport website, the app where you can also watch highlights of the match as it's going on. From BBC Radio 5 Live, this is the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. So we've spoken about England and Australia. The winner of that match will play New Zealand. England at Lords on Sunday after a dramatic 18-run win over India at Old Trafford. Eleanor Oldroyd was there. Thank you, Agus. Well, what an incredible couple of days we've had here at Old Trafford. Uh, all the drama yesterday of waiting around for the rain to stop and then were they going to be able to play the game yesterday or not? They didn't, so we started again today with New Zealand 211 for five. They added another, another 28 runs off 23 balls. They lost three wickets in the process. And they set India 240 to win. And, yeah, just the sense that maybe that was going to be uh, enough for them to defend. But it all depended on how the New Zealand bowlers started. And alongside me, Jeremy Coney, Prakash Wakanka and Andy Zaltzman. And, Jeremy, you have to say, well, I mean, congratulations, first Thank of you. all. Thank Victory you. by 18 runs. But it was down to those first few overs, wasn't it, in that, that, in that New Zealand attack? That was a major component, wasn't it, that uh, Bolt and Henry were able to pick up the, the, the batsmen that have scored so many runs, so many runs, and I'm sure Andy will tell us exactly how many runs in a moment, that for India throughout this tournament. So yes, that put uh, India on the back foot. They fought hard, though they came back, first of all through Pandya uh, and Pant, and then finally, of course, the, that, that one partnership with Jadeja and Dhoni, the two experienced men, and got more than just parity. They had almost got to a point where they were going to win the game. And then finally, because they were the last two recognised batsmen, things changed. And Prakash, I know that you have ridden a roller coaster of emotions, haven't you, over the last couple of days? I have. So how are you feeling now? Well, I'm trying to sort of just settle down. It's it's all uh, sort of sinking in. It's not the first time I've experienced this. This is the third semi-final, but New Zealand have experienced it more than me. And I'm very happy that uh, the Kiwis are in the final. Let's hope they can, you know, actually win their first World Cup. It'll be fantastic. But that apart, I think the better side won. And as Jeremy said, the the first few overs really just took the took the stuffing out, in a, in a manner of speaking. Three wickets for le- next to nothing, then a fourth at 24. I think it was it was all the, the writing was on the wall. It was it would have taken a superhuman effort, and Sir Jadeja, as we call him back in India, almost did it uh, with the old warhorse. Uh, but sometimes, you know. Uh, Fairy tale endings don't uh, don't end careers. We saw that with the great Murlitharan when India won in 2011. He went completely unnoticed. It was his last game. Dhoni is going to go well, pretty much unnoticed. This is his last World Cup game for sure. He would have loved to finish it on a high, but it took a superb bit of fielding from Martin Guptill. And this is the greatness of sport. Did nothing with the primary purpose for which he is in the team: score runs. But hey, moment of magic. And, and that's what makes sports what it is, right? It makes it the ups and downs, the uncertainties, the glorious nature of it. And uh, yeah, much as it's disappointing, it's fantastic for the game of cricket. So we, we talk about this amazing performance with the ball early on from Trent Bolt and Matt Henry. Um, five for three was the, the, the uh, Indian score at that early stage. 
Jeremy, but it was more than that, wasn't it, for New Zealand? It was it was the fielding. There was the the incredible um, run out as well from from Martin Guptill to get rid of of MS Doney. Some incredible catches as well. That, that Jimmy Neesham catch um, to dismiss uh, Dinesh Kartik. Yep. So the all around performance in the field. It was, was what won it for New Zealand in the end. Well, it certainly helped, didn't it? I mean, the bowler starts the whole transaction and then the fielders can come into play. And if you hit, if you, if you hit your lengths and you hit your lines and those sort of things, then you've set the field accordingly. The fielders do their job. So they all work together. And, and I think, yes, I think the fielders ran hard. They worked hard. Uh, there was one catch drop, so it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a perfect performance. There's always going to be fallibilities in sport. It's exactly what Prakash has just said, that you're ups and downs, and you've got to kind of keep a nice even keel going through those things and ride the emotions. Yeah, just, just that one comment, I think uh, Kane Williamson said that to, to somebody, and I just picked it up on social media. He said he and Ross Taylor were talking about 240. They had just the wicket. They were thinking that 240 was what they were aiming for, which is why they played the way they did. Well, it's easy to say it, I suppose, easy for us to analyse it, I beg your pardon, at the end of the game. But if indeed they were doing that, which I had no reason not to believe, then I think they read the conditions very, very well and played to it. We were all critical uh, of, of the way they were batting, but they clearly knew something that we didn't which is understandable. There are, of course, the, the players out there, and they deliver to, to the plan. One of the great things about this tournament has been 240s, 260s. It mm. yeah. hasn't been a 400 versus 380 kind of uh, you know, tournament at all. Thankfully, mm. it's made some brilliant games where we can see humanity in front of us making mm -hmm. errors and getting victories and so on. That's what you want sport to do. And some amazing figures as well. And, and Andy Zaltzman. He's I know, got some I know amazing how figures. <laughs> I know how excited you got at the start of, of that uh, of that Indian innings. Yes. To see... He wasn't uh, the only one. Kale Rahul, Rohit Sharma <laughs> and Virat Kohli all back in the hutch for one each. Yes, the first time in the history of international cricket, men's and women's, that numbers one, two and three have all been out for exactly one each. <laughs> That's the what emergency number day. in New Zealand. One, one, one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, um, and it wasn't an emergency... <laughs> <laughs> on on uh, how good India's top order had been through the tournament in the group stage, uh, India's top three, so um, Rohit, um, Kale Rahul, Shikhar Dhawan before he got injured and Virat Kohli, between them batted 24 times, scored 1,537 runs and averaged fractionally <laughs> under 70, seven centuries, eight other 50s. And today, three runs between them. So, uh, but but we, we were talking about New Zealand. I don't think New Zealand have really batted well at any point in this tournament. Even in, in this game, they batted okay, but they have been statistically the strongest bowling team in the tournament. They played on some you know, some difficult pitches for batting, which sort of fact, factors into both of those stats. But um, they were they were superb with the ball and in the field. And 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 often in World Cups, you see players who've not necessarily done much through the tournament come up with a big performance in the semi-final and final. Last time, Grant Elliott came from nowhere and played two brilliant innings in the in the semi-final that won the game and then played a good good 80 in the final. So Ross Taylor struggled a bit this tournament, played a, played a useful innings and then wickets for Matt Henry, three wickets in his opening spell. He'd only had three in his previous five games and Mitchell Santner won in his previous three or uh, four games, I think, and bowled a superb containing spell and picked up a couple of wickets. Uh, and don't forget Jadeja. Well, Jadeja... I mean, it is, I think, it will be one of the things, when archaeologists dig up the record of this <laughs> tournament in thousands of years to come, they will look at the history of cricket and wonder why Ravi Jadeja wasn't 
not necessarily the first name on the Indian team sheet, but at least the fourth. And one of the great one-day innings that, that he played today in the circumstances of the game in a World Cup semi-final, the highest score in a World Cup knockout, the first 50 in a World Cup knockout match by anyone batting seven or lower. And he came, came in at number eight. Where has he been all tournament? Only played India's last group game. I think you can look at India's selection and there's certain question marks on it. Was Kartik the right man to be in the squad? You know, he's not a particularly dynamic fielder. He's, he's not pro- done much much with the bat. The injury to Darwin clearly disrupted them. Um, but um, it was... Uh, and, and people have said all through the tournament, if India's top three fails, they will be in trouble. And that's exactly what, what happened today. The muddle. Yep. Well, let's hear from the Indian captain, Virat Kohli, talking to Simon Duhl. Virat Kohli alongside me. Take you back to the bowling from the first point of view, Virat, because I thought that was excellent from an Indian point of view. Yes, it was. I think the first half we were very, very good uh, with the ball in the field. I think we were spot on. Absolutely what we needed to get, um, we got in the field and um, we thought we had restricted New Zealand to a, a total which was uh, quite chaseable on any surface. But um, yeah, the way they came out and they uh, bowled in that first half an hour really was the difference in the game. How did you feel, sort of a two-day, one-day? How did you feel when you, when you woke up this morning coming to the ground? The confidence levels? Yeah, it was fine. I mean, we knew that we had a good day yesterday and uh, we were very proud of that effort. Mm. And then a very professional effort again with the ball today, uh, this morning. So we felt like we had the momentum and we had the right mindset to go in. But uh, the credit has to go to New Zealand bowlers because with the new ball, I think they're outstanding with the areas that they hit and the kind of swing that they got on the surface, uh, the, the help that they got from the surface. So I think it's the skill level that was um, on, on display for everyone and it made uh, life very, dif- very difficult for the batsmen. Prakash... Everyone expected India to be in the final, one way or the other. Top of the group stages. So much passion for cricket in India. So much passion for cricket among the fans who came here for two days in a row. What impact will it have back home in India that they have lost in the semi-final? Well, uh, first of all, it's not not that they have lost for the first time. But yes, I think there will be two kinds of responses, Ellie. There will be the rationalists who will rationalise sport say India fought well, talk about Jadeja's innings, talk about Dhoni's last game, etc, etc. And then there will be several with knives out because there'll be about 1.16 billion selectors uh, and administrators who'll talk about why not this, why not that. Uh, They'll split hairs. All that will happen. It'll reach a a crescendo. India will tour the West Indies, probably win there and all will be forgotten. Kohli has a a really awful record in in knockout matches, uh, not just World Cup. Champions Trophy failed in the final. He's only two half centuries looking at Asia Cup, Champions Trophy and World Cup. Um, in I think 11 innings he's had two half centuries both have been in relatively low chases when the openers have already put on runs in the World Cup he's played six knockout matches and never scored more than 35 he got single figure scores in 2015 and another one here today it's a, it's a curious glitch in his otherwise glittering uh, one day career you know has by far the highest uh, batting average of um, of one day batsmen from from the top top ranked nations uh, it's a, a curiosity and and Dhoni we've seen Dhoni over the last four years some of his his speed of scoring stats he's amongst the slowest scoring players from the from the teams in this in this tournament going back a long way now and he sort of batted India in, into a hole there he left Jadeja and himself way too much to do there was no sense of looking to turn the strike over you chewing up a lot of a lot of dot balls and almost he was sort of waiting for his own myth to, to suddenly be be reborn and I, I, I thought he played a well, poor innings, really. Even, you know, 50... Got India to within a chance, but he thought a little bit more proactivity earlier on. He was oddly passive, and uh, despite Jadeja's heroics at the other end, he, he left India in a 
almost impossible situation. Prakash, thank you very much indeed. Well, let's hear now from the victorious New Zealand captain, Kane Williamson, with Brian Waddle. Kane Williamson, congratulations. Uh, that's beating the, I suppose, favourites for the uh, title. You're rated as the underdogs. It's a great achievement. Yeah, um, you know, a great effort by the lads. We knew that, uh, well, to be fair, I thought the guys uh, assessed the conditions beautifully in the first half, where the wicket again looked like a, a very good one, but it certainly didn't play that way. It was a, a tough surface, and we we sort of spoke about it as a batting unit if we got to 240. Then we thought we'd be right in the game, and uh, and it proved to be the case. And look, out any 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 surface you, you play into your own, they're always uh, an extremely tough challenge. They are, I think, number one in the world for a reason, or in the top top two at least. So, um, a great battle out there. Funny that it's sort of spread over two days, but um, perhaps the fairest way to play it in the end. And um, you know, a lot of heart shown by our guys. Yeah, I'm one who didn't think you had enough, so I'll eat my humble pie and happy to do so tonight. But a great opening spell with the ball too. Oh, yeah, I mean, a, a fantastic start when you're, like you say, defending a, a total like that. Um, although it was uh, perceived to be a smallish total on that surface, it was um, it was, was going to be competitive. But to get the start that we got um, gave us a, a, a brilliant platform to build from and, and try and squeeze as a, as a bowling unit collectively. And um, like I say, there was just so many contributions that... That certainly went a long way for us to get across the line today, but um, feet on the ground because we've got another game. Well, that was Kane Williamson with Brian Waddle. Uh, Jeremy Coney, as a former New Zealand captain yourself, what have you made of Kane Williamson's captaincy in this game, but in the World Cup as a whole? Uh, he's had his moments uh, at some stages and some matches when you felt that he needed to go for the throat and put the, the knee on the throat and asphyxiate teams. He did it against Australia when they were 5 for 90 and then allowed it to sort of just push out. But he didn't hear. He rotated his bowlers quite intelligently. Uh, he had a bit of a problem with the fifth bowler in the Nisham de Grandom axis, if you like, and he just kept pushing it away, pushing it away and trying to build up the tension of the game so India had to keep playing the big shots to try and stay in the match and allowed Nisham to go to the 50th over. It actually worked for him. Sometimes that does work. Sometimes, of mm. course, you're left. But, well, but it we worked was, we for him We were saying, today. who are going to be their bowlers at the death? Because we, we, So Bolt and Henry had finished their overs with, with two overs still to go. Yeah, and Ferguson had, a, had an over to, to, to bowl as yeah. well. So you then had, but it was going to be Ferguson and Nisham at the end. But it came off for him, didn't it? It did. It did because of the, the slow pressure of, of Bolt and of Ferguson and of those bowlers that, that slowly built the whole thing up and then finally it created the opportunity, as I thought it might. I kept on saying, look, there's going to be more. There's a twist in the tail here in this game, and it was Jadeja had to finally, because of the Doni factor uh, of not scoring quite quickly enough, Jadeja had to put his foot to the floor. The switch went down, it created the chance, and... The, well, actually, it was it was Williamson who was underneath it. So he he's a very calm man, calm eyes, and 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 very knowledgeable about the game. Speaks about the game very calmly. Hmm. And I think that's a very important thing for a captain that you don't get involved in the emotion of the game too much. Do you think they've got lucky? Well, no, I don't think it was luck that got them through in this particular match. They certainly haven't played to their potential. I've seen these players now for the last 10 years, some of them emerging, and they've shown a lot more than they've been, been, you know, 
here in this tournament. And uh, I thought today their bowling and their fielding showed as a side. That's where you see a side really together, don't mm. you, out in the field. And I thought that they worked very hard and they got some success early and then they carried on with it today. They hung in there, you know, for, the, for their team. Every player hung in there. Uh, and well, just further on New Zealand confounding sort of pre-tournament expectations, you know, it was expected to be this tournament of uh, hyper-aggressive batting, and New Zealand have scored boundaries the least frequently of any team, one every 12.64 deliveries across the tournament, fractionally uh, behind behind Sri Lanka, England and Australia being the two most regular boundary-hitting sides. So again, New Zealand have almost defied their own batting with their uh, excellence with the ball. Who do you think they would like to play in the final, Jeremy, if you could offer them, England or Australia? Probably Australia. But, uh, I mean, that's not because they're frightened of England. I think they'll take anybody there in the final and they won't really worry too much about that. Uh, If they can put runs on the board, we know from those things that Andy has just told us that, that they will be pretty effective and they will be a difficult component to beat. The question is, can they? Well... No one really knows the answer. There's, to there's no pressure they? on them, though, is there really? When you think, you know, Australia defending champions, England have never won it at home. If they if they were to get to the final, there is there is no pr- pressure, arguably, on New Zealand because they've they've defied the odds to get yes, it. Yes, they have. They have defied it, and they'll be delighted that they're there, and they will grow enormously as I think as people and as players because of that. And that makes them a dangerous little unit, I think. Mm. You know, suddenly we might get a 30 from a place we didn't expect Santner. Or suddenly you might get Nichols getting a 50. And suddenly you might get Guptill hitting a few early on and he'll be away. So that's, that's ahead of us. I hope that they do themselves justice. Well, thank you very much indeed to Jeremy. We'll see you at the final on Sunday. Now, Andy. Yes. We need to clear something up here. Okay. We had an email from Neil Fox, who was listening to the podcast while fly fishing in Christmas Island. Well, so presumably just off Christmas Island rather than in Christmas in Island. Christmas, right. Off Christmas Island. So we ticked off Micronesia in our quest to find somebody listening to the TMS podcast in every country in the world, but quite a few people have emailed in. Here is Stephen Harper, who says Christmas Island in the Pacific Ocean is part of Kiribati. Yes, we pronounce it Kiribati. Kiribati. That's just its nickname. Just, you know, you Kiribati. stick a, a Y on the end of, of, of <laughs> names, Kiribati. Yeah. Uh, Kiribati it is. It's not part of the Federated States of Micronesia, as you said. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Chair's gone down. Okay, right. People so are very so angry that. about this. <laughs> so we can tick off Kiribati, brackets Kiribati, but put Micronesia back on the list. Right. That's courtesy of Neil Fox, who okay. basically didn't know what country he was in. Yeah, so we're blaming Neil rather than ourselves for our geographical ignorance. Absolutely, that's good. absolutely, okay, that's fine. That. However, Rob Pressler says, I am listening to the TMS podcast in Malibu, Equatorial Guinea, which I think is one of your missing 19 countries. I work in the oil industry out here, doing four weeks on, four weeks off. When home in the UK, I continue to watch Leicestershire's Trials and Tribulations. Oh, it's a good, good balance in life, isn't it? Compar- of... Comparisons between Malibu, Equatorial Guinea and... And Grace Road. <laughs> I mean, almost... I imagine they're almost interchangeable, aren't they? Bruce, Bruce Torrance says, I've managed to convince my friend Evan to listen to an episode of the TMS podcast in Yemen whilst unpacking in the UN compound. Apparently it's hailing there at the moment. Evan enjoyed the podcast and is now 
a firm fan. So spread it to uh, to everyone in Yemen. Let's see if we can get more than 90% of the Yemeni people listening to this podcast. It might help. It might. Nicola says this. Nicola House. I have just come back from a fortnight scuba diving in Palau. Very nice. I can confirm that I did indeed listen to your podcast whilst out there. Am I the first to tick it off? Well, yeah. This raises the question. Did you listen to the podcast, uh, Nicola, whilst... In the ocean. So can we tick off the Pacific Ocean as well? Underwater podcast yeah, listening. That's the future, uh, of, future of podcasts. And? R- Richard Kent says, I think it's impossible and certainly illegal to tune into the BBC in North Korea. And I don't think you would want to encourage illegality, certainly not at the BBC, uh, and, and, and the risk of imprisonment for anyone trying to listen to TMS there. Yes, I imagine if you, if you don't know uh, anything about cricket and you listen to TMS, you would think it's some kind of secret government code. <laughs> explaining some kind of military strategy. Yes, Trent Bolt's figures were actually are actually yeah. some kind of strange. Yeah. Yes. I think cricket commentary generally does sound quite often like it's been put through some kind of Google Translate facility about twelve <laughs> times. However, uh, conti- uh, c- continues Richard, uh, while keeping within the bounds of what is legal and physically possible, my father, John Kent, sadly no longer with us, was a lifetime member of MCC and a devotee of TMS. He visited North Korea three or four times in the last 12 years as part of a friendship-building group for two weeks at a time. There were several Aussies also in the group, and he enjoyed a lot of cricket banter with them. So I can assure you that cricket has been discussed in detail, and the good name of TMS frequently invoked in North Korea. Um, uh, is that enough to qualify as having half a toe in North Korea? I don't think it no, does, I'm afraid. I, unless we can actually confirm that Kim Jong-un has, has tuned in. Maybe he yeah. discussed it with Donald Trump when they were there together the other day. Look, those are those are two gentlemen who urgently need the civilising influence of cricket in their souls. Quite right. So we still need North Korea. We've not a lot got long to go. And if anyone wants to download the podcast before you go and listen to it <laughs> down there, do you think that that would, that would dodge the, the kind of strict regulations about what you can and can't listen to? I imagine if you if you sneakily listen to it whilst marching in a large military parade, no one will spot you. <laughs> I think it could be considered as subversive, especially when you and Jeremy Coney are on it together. Um, so, Luke Clancy says this, I'm listening in potentially the world's newest country... Greetings from the sunny South Pacific in the autonomous region of Bougainville. Although presently, says Luke, an autonomous island region of Papua New Guinea, located close to Solomon Islands, Bougainville is holding a referendum in October on whether to remain part of PNG or become an independent nation state following a civil conflict in the 1990s. (laughs) While this might be too late to assist with the current quest to find a TMS listener in every country of the world, I thought I would help you to possibly get a jump on any similar endeavour in the future. Right. I don't maybe I have to do it during the Olympics, Elliot. <laughs> yeah. Do we do we think so? Oh. I mean, it's quite. You can just go around an athlete's village. Well, just go there, around, can't yeah, you? exactly, yeah. exactly. We find flag bearers. So the uh, the list of countries still to tick off. We have 16 left to go: Burundi, Chad, Comoros, North Korea, Djibouti. No, she went of her own accord. Eritrea, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, Libya, Marshall Islands, Micronesia. Back on the list: Nauru, Niger, Somalia, Sudan, and Togo. And to go is what India now have to do. <laughs> Andy, thank you very much indeed, as always. So, we have put one back on the list, but we have lost three. Yes. Is that right? So, if you know anybody in those 16 countries, or if you're going there yourself, and you're planning on listening to the TMS podcast, then let us know. You've only got a few more days to do it. It's tms at bbc.co.uk and put podcast in the title.
back to you, Agus. Ellie, thanks very much. Our coverage of the match begins at 9.30. Live coverage from here on 5 Live Sports Extra, Radio 4 Longwave and via the BBC Sport website and the app where you can also, of course, watch the highlights during the match. And there'll be a TMS podcast available to download after the game with full reaction. The TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Download and subscribe via the BBC Sounds app for a new episode every day.